It's Sunday, April 18th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, Major League Baseball is using the Southern League for some experimental rule changes, and I suggest a reform that may merit testing. An Atlanta area public school honors the late Hank Aaron, and a former Negro League stadium will undergo a restoration. We look back on the phenomenon that was Fernando Mania while saluting a member of the St. Louis Cardinals on a very special achievement. We'll react to two stories this week involving the New York Mets. We'll have the latest on what was a rather dull week in Chicago baseball apart from one amazing story. In Popcorn, we review the last in our series of 2021 Oscar nominees, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Tom, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well today. I, I, I feel pretty good. Pretty good. How about yourself? Most I've talked just straight through without stopping in a while. So well, I haven't <laughs> spoken to my wife in a week. You know, I didn't want to interrupt her. No. <laughs> That's a good joke. That's a good joke. You know, I'm away from my wife and family this week. I'm in Cincinnati, my hometown, and it's my mother's 80th birthday. I'm staying here at my sister's house in, in the Oakley neighborhood. Uh, Cincinnatians will all know where this is and a very nice place to, to be. She's walking distance to all this great stuff. Uh, nice two bedroom house built, built in the 19th century. This house oh, was. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's pretty cool being here, but like I tell you, I'm, I'm just feeling a little uncomfortable here. You know, the reds are doing well right now and the, and the whole place is going crazy about the reds. And I'm just, it's driving me nuts because I'm kind of disliking actively this Reds team. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm just feeling like I, I, I'm a stranger here. I don't know these people anymore. I'm not the guy I was when I grew up here. This just isn't my place. You're the invisible man. I am. I am the invisible man. But you, you, you too are on your own. Yeah. You're in uncharted, strange waters. Yeah. My wife actually is in Florida for uh, almost a week, basically packing up our in-laws house in the villages they've since been uh, put into an assisted living place um and so they're selling that house down there so i'm fending for myself and here's the thing before gwen leaves she always packs the refrigerator and the cupboards with food and basically takes me through like this is what you make this this is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then within 12 hours all of that food has been eaten <laughs> it happens every time it's so, like by the time she gets back, I'm like I'm like as big as a zeppelin. <laughs> but Tom, what do you do for food after you've exhausted your Gwen made supply? Uh, I go to I, I get uh, Asian uh, delivery. <laughs> that's probably the wisest thing to do. All right. So th- All that's right. the one thing. I mean, I, I, I you know I know she's doing a very important job down there, but uh, you know I need supervision. Yes, I mean, there's just no other way of saying it. Yeah, Tom, there's a certain amount of maintenance involved, you know, when you, when you marry Tom Hockney. Oh, boy. I, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing some changes, but I guess Major League Baseball is experiencing some changes. A Jason Stark article about some possible rule and dimension changes that are being experimented uh, in the Southern League this year. And uh, the rule change is that there'll be kind of what's known as a double hook. So the game begins with both lineups having a designated hitter. And when the starting pitcher is taken out of the game for whatever reason, that team loses their designated hitter. Now they'll have to have pinch hitters 
slot in and, and, and make double switches and things like that. The other change is moving the mound back one foot. And we'll talk more about how you know, these things are going to be done and how they'll be implementing it. But uh, what, what is interesting, I think, to me is that Major League Baseball is developing a mechanism to test these possible rule changes. And I think that's good to do. Yeah, you know, you and I discussed this a few weeks ago when uh, when this was first proposed. You kind of didn't like it. I, I, I do, do like it, but I do think that all rule changes, I don't care whether we like them or not, should be tested for one year and, and so that they can look at everything sideways, upside down of all, you know, most of the, the common scenarios that will occur to, de to determine if it's right or not. Um, I, you know, after rereading the double hook, I do, I do see the point that that one uh, manager, I can't think of his name, who said that, you know, if a pitcher gets knocked out of the game um, right. in the first inning, and, and, and I lose my DH and I'm down by nine runs. I mean, that really yeah, puts down me by every, what, what the hell? I mean, yeah, I, yeah exactly. as far as losing the DH, that is, is something to consider. But outside of that, I don't think it's that bad of idea because anytime you can knock the DH out of the game is a good thing in my book because I hate the fucking DH. I mean, I hate the DH too. <laughs> I think it should have been the other way around. I think you, you need to test. Um, making the starting making the starting pitcher hit at least once, and then when when you lose your starting pitcher, then you get your DH. That's what it, I think. I, I'm a, look again. Just test it. Who it, instead of talking yeah. about it, just test it for crying just out test, loud. But that's what they're doing. They're testing it. And you know who's behind all this? Is I know it's our boy Theo. It's our boy Theo Epstein. And, uh, you know, I, he's taking kind of... He hasn't a had a hit since Casablanca. Let me just... Oh, wait a minute. That's his uncle. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but, you know, he's going into this with... You know, he's thinking about it. And he think if this is the perfect place to test these ideas. And, yeah. and I actually had an idea that I think may merit testing. Now, I don't think it's anything that... Uh, is going to be implemented or even tested, really, because baseball. Send it to Jason Stark; he'll take credit for it, anyways. Well, and the other thing too <laughs> is that um, Stark's last sentence in the article, and I'll cite this: is that any idea, no matter how crazy, it can be considered. So my thought, and, and, and should be like I said, if it's reasonable, use the minor leagues to test it and be done. Which is you know? what they're doing. Which right. Is what, yeah. Well, I thought I thought that they had pulled it back and they, that they had that they weren't going to do it. No, they're doing this in the Southern League. What's interesting is they're going to do the double hook all year, okay? And the the moving the mound back a foot takes place in the second half. Why don't they just move the mound into center field? You know what? The one that is going to be more interesting it is moving stupid. the mound back. The whole thing seems stupid. No, not stupid. They Moving <laughs> the mound back may be exactly what the game at the major league level needs. And I think of the two tournaments – I understand that. And I read that basically based on where certain catchers sit today, they already are <clears throat> throwing at those distances. So maybe uh, no, to me, that's no big of a deal, big a deal. I think what I struggle with as a conservative when it comes to the, the main issues of baseball and how there really hasn't been changes outside of they did, you know, change the mound after in 69, uh, but outside of that on the field, they haven't really, done many and so when you start doing these things it, it just it's a little scary if it makes the games base of baseball more successful i'm all for it make yeah. them wear fucking clown outfits i don't care well, but, but, 
but they need to be able to do this. They need a place where they can try these things out because the big one for me, obviously, I think is moving the mound back because if, if you know, the concern is will, 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 play, will pitcher's arms uh, sort of buckle under the strain? And it may actually, I predict of these two, that's going to be the one that will be implemented at the major league level. But, but I have one that I want to suggest to Mr. Epstein, and I know that he's a regular listener yeah. and I know he's out there and, you know, he gets a lot of his inspiration from some of the things that we discussed here. But I, I, I like to think that if we lived in a world where people cared about the complete baseball game, I'm talking tactically, uh, bunting, moving runners over, hitting right. behind runners, things like that, sacrifice flies, that, that there's a place for that kind of play in baseball. And we'll call it fundamentals for whatever reason. All right. So my idea is that we have a league where the pitcher bats. Okay. And if the pitcher comes up with a runner on base with one or two or three runners on two runners on base, and he does something productive with the bat and specifically, I mean, advancing a runner. If yeah. the, if the pitcher successfully advances the runner with a, with a sacrifice or a fly ball to right field or hitting behind a runner. Okay. The, the pitcher is retired but the out is negated. Okay. So, so you have a runner at first base with nobody out. The pitcher bunts him over. Now he's at second base and there's still nobody out. Okay. Do they have uh, there, there in Cincinnati? Beg your pardon? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I mean, it just, it, it, honestly, I understand that, but no, don't do that. It's just too much. It's just why not test it to find a league somewhere. Test it in a where there's a 25 people going to the game yeah. and test it and see how it affects tactics and strategy. That's what we're really after here. That's what we're trying to ascertain how this affects the decisions that the managers make. And that, you know, there's a place for this kind of thinking. I'm not saying we, we do it tomorrow at the major league level, right. but I am saying that it's a time to test crazy ideas. You know, yeah. send it to Theo. Let's see what he says. Exactly. That, and I'm doing that. But uh, but before I do that, I want to talk about um, an Atlanta area school, or it's an Atlanta public school, actually. Yeah. It, it changed its name to uh, from from Forest Academy, I think it was. Yeah. Forest Hill Academy to Hank Aaron New Beginnings Academy. And uh, Lorenzo Reyes in USA Today wrote about this. And uh, you know, I, I, what surprised me, number one, is what took them so long? What took the Atlanta public schools this long to yeah. put away the name of something that, you know, of, of, of William Bedford Forrest? You know, there's, still, I, there's so much stuff here. The fact is, Hank Aaron New Beginnings Academy. What's that? Just make it Hank Aaron's Academy. That, Hank Aaron Academy. Exactly. You know, I mean, that's, just, that's kind of goofy. But I've, we talked about, we'll continue to talk about this all the way that you get to, that you finally close the book on this whole uh, lost cause of the Confederacy is that you start to remove these statues. You start to change these names. This guy is a complicated character, by the way. I don't know if you've ever read his biography, which I did in, in Wikipedia. He was one of the founders of the KKK who oh. basically you know, uh, repudiated them and said, I, I, have, I don't want to have anything to do with you people. So he was, he was kind of a, a complicated guy, but this is a slam dunk. What you, why did you wait till Henry Aaron died before you did all this stuff? This, this, this yeah, is exactly. really bad, really bad. <laughs> this is really bad. And, and what I was surprised to learn about is that there's still, uh, as far as I know, three more places in the country that are named after Nathan Bedford Forrest. Forrest Not for long. Not for long, yeah. 
Forest City, Arkansas, Forest Park, Memphis, Tennessee, right. and Nathan Bedford Forest State Park. Three places that I'm afraid I'm going to have to avoid visiting, yeah. uh, not that they care whether I'm there or not. But, uh, but this also kind of segs us into uh, another discussion, and this was kind of a, a real po- real, another real positive thing that I'd heard about, is that uh, there's a stadium in New Jersey, Hinchcliffe Stadium, and this is a former Negro Leagues ballpark, and, and it's fallen into disrepair, and as many things do uh, in New Jersey, but uh, they're going to restore it, and uh, they're going to play some games there, I think, and I think that they're going to they're going to have events, they'll have concerts, I think a minor league team may play there, I mean, the there may be some college games played there, but uh, hopefully we'll see the major leagues play a game or two there uh, once a year, once this place is uh, put back together. And I think this is fantastic. Well, it certainly gives them something to strive for. I say, I think that when it comes to this stuff, I'm not so excited about day one in their journey of getting this all done as much as I am to see what happens in 10 years, if it's a viable place where, you know, it's, 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 because what you don't want to have is build this gigantic white elephant that just slowly decays like the last one. I hopefully like the they'll be able to find meaningful baseball that can be played there. And you're right. If they do the field of dreams, why can't they have a game there? I mean, yeah. there's no, that, that's what I'd really like to see it. And yeah. did you, did you notice, did you see the picture of the park? Did you see yes, the dimensions? Yeah, I did. The, the way the dimensions were laid out, they were very unusual. It was yeah. like the polo grounds. Exactly. Very, very I always yeah. think of Crosley Field. They had, unbel- you know. Well, it has unbelievably short, you know, foul poles. Yeah. You know, but, but really big left center and right center, you know, in center field, like this big wedge in there. And then you have this big, you know, each side has this big triangle foul territory. You know, it, it, it'll be an interesting place to play. And uh, I think that uh, restoring this is a trend in the right direction, but you do need to give people a reason to go there. And, and that, that will determine whether or not it succeeds or fails. So, so Tom, let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. What were you doing 40 years ago? What was your life like in Detroit, Michigan? I don't know. I don't know if I was in solitary confinement. No, I can't. I can't. I, I, I uh, in 1981, I, I was, this was pre my improv days. Um, I, I was kind of lost to be honest with you, but you know, a big baseball fan. And I know that in 1981, the beginning of that season began unlike basically any other, um, or, or even since then, really nothing has, uh, uh, come just unknown. I mean, one, one thinks about one, maybe make a comparison to your mean Mercedes, but, uh, but even he didn't, not like this, not like, not like this. Not like this. And we're talking about Fernando Valenzuela, yeah. the left-handed pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Who, Fina, who made, Fina. you know, yeah. He, Fina, he, sold, he comes he in basically. the public as the next coming of Babe Ruth when he first came out. That's how big he was. Yeah. Well, his his first start was was amazing because the, the I guess the original Dodger starter had to be scratched for, right. for an arm issue. Yep. So he goes into the game and pitches a shutout, pitches a four-hit complete game shutout, and goes on to win his next eight starts. Correct. You know, and and he six, six of he them didn't were really do games. it. With, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. This was when pitchers pitch complete games. You know, but uh, but he was wonderful because he didn't do it. If you ever watched him pitch, he didn't throw all that hard. No. You know, he threw a screwball though. Right. And he was, was the last, I think. 
Yeah. He was the last great proponent of the screwball. It was the last great screwball we ever saw. I would agree. Left-handed curveball that, that seems to be curving towards the plate, but then at the last second, it just kind of goes away yep. from the right-handed hitter. And, and, and he was wonderful. I loved watching Fernando pitch. He pitched when I was in college in St. Louis, he was with the Cardinals just towards the end, like maybe yeah. right after I was in, and, and I got to see him a little more often. And he's just really uh, an amazing, an amazing pitcher. This was a wonderful year for me. Yeah. If, if you remember, um, or I do remember reading the article where they talked about baseball really needed this at this time uh, yeah. in 81, yeah. because it was, you know, um, they were having labor late. issues yeah. and, and, and all, and, and, but also even before that, there was attendance issues in baseball and what, what Fernando did for baseball was was in equal uh, measure by what he did for the Mexican community, not just in Southern California, but Mexico in general really embraced uh, Fernando. The thing that I was always taken with the guy is what a class act he was. He was always a humble guy. He never played the star, which he could have done. You know, he, ma he made money off of it, but, you know, lots of commercials and all that stuff, but he was always kind of a, you know, a, a down-to-earth guy. So much so that today he is the Dodgers color man on the uh, Spanish-speaking channel with the uh, uh, Jaron or Yarin, who was his interpreter back in the day and who has been the announcer on the, on the Spanish version of the Dodgers for like 40-some seasons. Like he's a Hall of Fame baseball announcer. So, um, you know, it, That's, right. That's the, the broadcast story, I need to hear. Fernando's story is a classic American success story of a boy doing good. And, and you're right. He shouldn't even have been starting that first game. And had he not this, we may not even know about Fernando today. That's, that's how big of a deal that was. Well, well I want to tell you a quick story is that uh, when I, in 19, I think it was my junior, the summer between my junior and senior year in, uh, in high school, I studied for six weeks in Mexico and I lived with a family. And Fernando was with the Dodgers. And this was when I was still a Reds fan. And Mario Soto matched up against Fernando. And the whole country was watching the game. You know, and I was a Reds fan. And I'm like, and they're booing me. And they're like, oh, Soto sucks. And they were just, I mean, they adored. They adored Fernando. And it was wonderful to see, you know. Hard not to like the guy. So uh, hard not, to, exactly. Hard not to like him. All right. So um, did you see uh, what Joey Votto did the other day? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. That was something else. It was something, I mean, well, he, he turned a triple play. The Reds did this against the Indians. There was a runner at first, and I think third. And uh, there's a line, nobody out, obviously. And the line drive is hit right at Votto with the runner leading off. He catches it on the fly as the runner is diving back to the bag. Votto tags him on the chest. And the runner from third had left early. He thought the ball had bounced maybe. Yeah. He left early. And Votto throws to third to record the third out. And I was thinking because the runner from third was already in the dugout. Right. What Votto could have done if he had been thinking about this, you know, and it's hard to think about this in the moment, but if he had walked over to just third base and stepped on the bag, he would have done something that had not been done since 1992. And that would have been the unassisted triple play, right. which is the rarest play in baseball. And I believe that is the, the rarest rule. thing you it is. And that would have been incredible. And you're right. That's what he, in retrospect, I'm sure he'll, he'll think about that for a long time. But the fact yeah. is, is that I believe the rule is once that runner touches home plate, he cannot go back to third base. 
Wow. Yeah. Cannot go back. Wow. Once you turn the plate, you cannot go back. So he had wow. all, he had all day to walk over there, you know, and and do that. <laughs> but yeah, an incredible play. Uh, also, you referenced uh, the great Mookie Betts uh, made a walk off catch uh, in in. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was last night, right? I, I really like it. Yeah, last night or Friday night. Um, and so baseball is back. And-, and Peanuts and Popcorn would like to give a crunch of the nut to St. Louis Cardinal catcher Yadier Molina, who caught his 2,000th game with the St. Louis Cardinals. He is the only man in baseball who has caught that many games for one team. And when right. I say that sentence out loud, right. Okay, right. when I say that out loud, the next sentence out of my mouth should be, this man is going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, my brother and I have kind of gone back and forth on, on this, and I, I, I think ultimately, yeah, he is going to go into the Hall of Fame. That being said, as a Cubs fan, I, you know, every time I see him, I think he's got the teardrop next to his eye tattooed. I know, he does head. have a lot of tattoos. And, and, now, we don't, we don't disparage people for wearing tattoos. I, I, I don't, but because he's a Cardinal, I just, I've yeah. never liked the guy, but I agree with you, he's a Hall of Famer. He's, he, you know, I, I remember an at-bat between him and John Lester, and it was, it was graduate school baseball. It really was. It was two old veterans, you know, trying to, to psych each other out, and they both understood completely what the other was trying to do. And then based on that, they're just trying to outwit one another. And finally, Molina just, he, he hit a fastball away for a home run, and it was yeah. just, it was an incredible at-bat. I'll never forget that. Right, right. So now let's, uh, the, the New York Mets, uh, there are two stories that were out this week, uh, one in the New York Times and uh, another uh, just about in the athletic. And they're both really, really bad. They make the Mets look awful. Right. And, and the first one has to do with the death of Bernie Madoff, who was the Ponzi scheme inventor, or not inventor, but, you know, criminal who basically scammed people out of bil- billions of dollars that the Mets finances were all tied up with this guy. You know, every account they had, there was a guy named Schwartz that was cited in the article who's like, give the money to Bernie. So like anytime they got the money from the radio rights or, or, or some other, you know, inversion of, uh, of income, you know, some sort of revenue stream, he put it in a Madoff account. Right. And this was all during the Wilpons ownership of the team. And, and they, there was talk too, that the Wilpons were even complicit with right. it or or were they unwitting fools they this called was, them the will ponzi's yeah 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 this was an ugly time and if not for the fact that the the, the new york mets basically quadrupled in value you know they would they would have been ruined the mets would have been ruined madoff nearly ruined the mets for all of baseball that was uh, crazy yeah. Well, it would have turned, I think they would have turned the Mets into receivership. <clears throat> Ultimately, the, they would have, you know, Major League Baseball would have stepped in at, to, right. to salvage their uh, franchise. But you're right. Bernie made off with a lot of money. And and all I can say is, is that um, outside of the investing he's doing for Hitler in hell right now, uh, good riddance to him. He, he, he screwed a lot of people. I started reading who some of these folks were. Forget about all the celebrities. I mean, yeah. a lot of people lost their entire retirement, um, yeah. you know, portfolio to this to this monster. Um, and they, it just seems like the Mets, the, the Mets just can't get out of their own way. I mean, it, apparently there's an internal investigation going on right now to 
not one, not two, four sexual harassers over, over the yeah. time, including uh, Mickey Calloway. Uh, yeah, or four, four serial sexual harassers, all during the Wilpon ownership of the team, the Wilpon family ownership of the team. Including uh, Mickey Calloway, or as they called him, uh, Dick Pick Nick. <laughs> Dick Pick Mick. That's awesome. I'm sorry, but uh, that, that, that's funny. But uh, it, it, it just goes to show, though, how awful an organization they were under the Wilpons. And, uh, you know, it, the era is over now that, uh, what is it, Stephen Cohen? Yeah, Steve Cohen. Has bought the team. and, and Well, it's just that he's, he's kind of retained some of the same executives. And, and <laughs> so there's criticism to the fact that he really hasn't swept out uh, yeah. the, the franchise like but that's hardly the goofiest thing that I've seen this week, Leo, before we start to talk about the Cubs. Um, I don't know what's going on in baseball, but apparently all of the guys that get on base are suddenly uh, chefs because what's with all these oven mitts that they're putting on when they're on base? What the hell is that? Yeah, it's, uh, but the Cubs have done that for years. You know, um, who was it? Bryant did it. Baez did it for a long time. But basically, it's to protect because they want to dive in and hey, they've had no, to. No, I get. I'm being facetious. It's know, what's with the oven mitts? But it does look. They do look like oven mitts. Like they should have. They should be handed a skillet. They should have to carry, you know, a hot skillet while they do it. You right. Know? That is funny. But uh, but but it's time now to to move on to the Chicago Cubs. And what's interesting about that is that it's been a really weird week, and we'll talk to sort of what seems to be an alert an allergy to hitting the baseball outside now, of what happened yesterday outside of what happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They did. They did uh, get up off the mat and score 13 runs yesterday. So I guess, I guess it's all figured out. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so now, you know, like, I guess we don't have to, you know, that's settled. We don't have to worry about that anymore, but they were historically bad. Yeah. You know, you know the time. more, the more I kind of delved into this whole story, you know, we started talking about this last week that they, they had the worst batting air, still have the worst batting average in the majors um, that, you know, uh, this writer at Deadspin basically puts out proposes that the Cubs may be allergic to hitting. I think it's yeah. a much, it's a much more severe, a deeper problem than that. But I kind of came away after reading this article because they start talking about, you know, the Cubs, all Major League Baseball is asking for is that teams are at 85% vaccinate, vaccination rate. Yeah, right, right. And the Cubs are the only team in the majors that are below it. And, and, and they have guys that won't get the vaccine. It, it just, the more I read about these Chicago Cubs, the more I think that they're not going to win anytime soon. And right now, this is like the last hurrah for Rizzo, for, for Bryant, for Kimbrel, who could be shopped at the at the trade deadline, I, I'm going to start to. It's been almost unwatchable because their offense has been so terrible. But I, I really think this could be the last hurrah of this team because all of their actions kind of point towards a team that's playing for the future down the road. And so, yeah, and and they're, and and they're just kind of playing their hand out, even when they interviewed Hoyer and, and said, "Hey, you know." Uh, uh, <laughs> right exactly he's like oh we take it one game at a time and i'm like you know what you guys you guys ability to hit with runners on base is the worst in the majors and you're not getting any better outside of what happened yesterday outside of what happened yesterday and and you know i'm a little more optimistic than than you are tom yeah. um 
I mean, yeah, they're not, they don't look like a great team right now. And, uh, but the way I look at it is there's nowhere to go, but up and, uh, you know, there's nowhere, you know, they, they can't get any worse. So if they get a little better, they might be able to contend in the way that the national league central kind of is, you know, uh, as long as they hang around, it still can be an interesting season to watch. And, and, you know, their guys are going to have a good year and those guys may get flipped for prospects and, and, and with an eye towards improving in another year. And you know what? That's a good thing. Okay. That's something we it's want. Good for, and it's, good, fan- it's good for our show. If they suck, it's, it's much more interesting. If they suck, let, let me just tell you that right now. Be, and right now they suck. I don't know. I, I, but, if, uh, but, if the you season know, ended wrong. today, they would have 69 or 70 wins. That's really bad, Leo, based on their winning percentage. Yeah. So it's a long road to go. I hope they get better. I'm a Cubs fan. I'm not optimistic. Yeah. You're not optimistic. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little more, I'm, but I, I understand certainly how you feel. But the thing is, Tom, I've done terrible Cub seasons, you know, on my head. I've exactly. done dozens. Exactly. Of I mean, I can, I can take this. You know, it's not a big deal. Hope is a very but, dangerous uh, but I think one, one of the things, though, that, uh, that I think speaks to some of their offensive struggles, and this has been something that's been going on for the last three or four years, is that the Cubs just never were able – to, to replace Dexter Fowler. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying they should have kept Dexter Fowler because he's been injured a lot, yeah. but they need a player like Dexter Fowler who can do the things that Fowler did, that steal bases, get on base, play center field, and they've never been able to do it. You know, I don't know if Dexter Fowler is going to be able to do it himself because he had one of the most gruesome uh, – See. As a guy that ruptured both of his patellas, I can only see knee injuries once. Sometimes I'll not if I see it coming, I'll look away. It's so so horrific yeah. to me. And his was his injury this uh, earlier in this past week was pretty gruesome. And when he was running to second base instead of sliding, he went in standing up and he kind of landed wrong, um, and uh, he tore his ACL. So he's out for the season. Um, he's an older guy. I, I don't, I don't, you know, he claims he's in full, uh, you know, recovery mode and he's coming back, but he's a free agent. Have we seen the last of Dexter Fowler? Sadly, I think we may have. We may have, you know, but, but it's so funny too, like uh, talking about the Cubs offensive struggles. I was in the car driving down here on Friday, Friday afternoon. And I got to listen to every pitch, you know, of that Cubs Braves game. And, and the, the, the last inning was just, it was so painful yeah. because the Cubs are down, I think by three. Right. All right. And in the ninth inning, they get three walks or they get a hit by pitch and two walks and they get three strikeouts. Yeah. And it was just, no one seemed to be able to put the ball in play. And it was driving me crazy. It was the most painful thing I'd ever heard in my life. And then the next day they go out and score 13 runs. So I think that's more a a factor of them kind of breaking open the Atlanta bullpen, you know, who's been taxed and overburdened. They've had injuries to starters. They've had bullpen guys had to to spot start. It's been hard. It feels like an outlier, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, best of luck to uh, our buddy Dexter Fowler and his recovery. Because now, the, the, the Cubs haven't been the same. And you can make a case since he's been gone, really. I hate to now, say it. He was the best leadoff man we had. He was the best leadoff man we had. And, and we need somebody. Look, I'm not saying we should have kept him because he right. has right. nobody Agreed. hurt. But, but we need somebody who does what he does. Now, now Kyle Hendricks, this was interesting. The professor. He, 
the professor, he was, uh, his start was scratched yeah, uh, because he wasn't feeling well. He had flu-like symptoms. They kept him out. They didn't quarantine him yeah. uh, because he didn't, they tested him and he, he was still, he wasn't positive, but, um, but so they had to go to the adjunct professor <laughs> and that was Alec Mills. Who, yeah, uh, Alec who was, Mills. Kyle, Kyle Hendricks light. That is my favorite nickname of any player right now, the adjunct professor. The adjunct and he professor. pitched all right in, 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 in sort of spot duty, but, but this was a bad week for Chicago baseball. It really was. You know? uh, again, I have the, I can see every single game almost every single day. And I avoid the Cub games like a plague because they're, they're just terrible to watch. Oh, mostly because I'm a fan and it, it pains me to watch them underperform. Um, but they're still, and- I mean, yeah, yeah. they have underperformed in, in every way except one. And we're going to talk about Kimbrell in a minute. Kimbrell's yeah. been the only area where it's been positive, well, right? There have there, been a couple others. But, but you know, what's interesting is a big part of the Cubs game. You know, a lot of people forget that a big part of the Cubs offensive game is the hit by pitch right. of which they've been, you know. Either that or, or sacrifices, but yes. yeah. Exactly. Because they, you know, and Wilson Contreras, you know, they, they played the Brewers nine times. Yeah. in the early going and they hit uh they hit wilson Contreras four times correct and correct. and they responded uh i think it was ryan tapera threw behind uh brandon woodruff That's didn't right. hit him but threw behind his legs yeah. Yeah. and yeah. as a result he gets suspended for three games and david ross gets suspended for a game right and and i gotta tell you i don't think major league baseball is doing this discipline thing correctly uh, i'm sorry well, I mean, it, it, it's relative in the, you know, the, the fact is after the second hit on Contreras, the umpires made it very clear if, if, if there's going to be a tit for tat thing going on here, that they're going to start throwing people out of the game. No, I do. They, they, yeah. But the and, thing and is so the, the, yeah. the reality is the pitch did go behind the guy's head. I mean, you know, that, that yeah. part is true. The only question is what is the penalty for that? And so, right. um, you know, and, and- there are other instances too, you know, not every, you know, like, like in, in the game Friday, the Cubs were hit four or five times, right. but none of them was intentional. They were all sliders or change-ups or curveballs, yeah. you know? So I believe that this is just way of baseball outside of the penalties, but the, the back and forth of the hitting is just baseball's way of working these things out. That's just, well, it, yeah. it, it's been going on for a century now, over a century. And I think that it's, it's going to always be, you, see, you're probably too young to remember Billy Martin. Back in the no, day, I'm not too young to remember Billy Martin. I don't know. Back in the early '70s, '71 or '72, when he was a, actually the manager of Detroit, <clears throat> he actually got fired for, um, you know, having having he, he attempted to have Joe Coleman throw at I forget who the opposing team was. He lost his job over that. Lost so, his job. But, well, he was fired. He was fired for so many reasons, Tom. It's he was, he was, but this was this was a different one on his list of reasons. Usually they were yeah. alcohol related. But yeah. the fact is, is that this is, I don't know what you can do to police it except for ba- Major League Baseball, the office's way of saying, hey, we're going to suspend the, play, the, the people involved. I, I, I just think that three games is a little bit much and everything else I would agree you have you have to throw out the manager if you suspect that this was intentional and it let's be honest it was intentional <laughs> yeah I mean the, the pressure's really on to para there you know but uh, but it is interesting because I think what's happening here what's at work 
is that the rest of the league really hates Wilson Contreras. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and, well, and the, the league there, doesn't like the Cubs very much. They, they don't like the Cubs very much, but, but this whole thing with the Brewers really centered, it really fell yes. you know, on Contreras. And if you watch the game, there was a moment where he flew out or something or grounded out and he ran down the line. And as he doubled back to go back to the dugout, there was a moment where he said something to the Milwaukee first baseman. Yes, yes. And the Milwaukee first baseman looked at him and he, he had a look on his face like, fuck you, you know. Right, right, like He right. was responding to something. And I will say this, I mean, Contreras, he's cocky when he plays. And uh, and, and in that game after they hit him, he did hit a home run. Yes. You know, that, that got him a win. And he was <laughs> going around the bases, you know, doing the shh with his yeah. finger right. over his lips, which, right. you know, I, I mean – the other team hates that stuff. I, I sort of enjoy when players kind of do these things because I think it makes the game interesting. But but what was interesting also was that David Ross was very salty about being suspended. He even said, you know, he was being interviewed by the score. And he said, I, I can't fucking understand it. Yeah. And they had to leap it out. So that was the was that the first time a Cubs manager has sworn on tape since Lee Elia? <laughs> it could be. But, you, you know, you correctly referenced that. The Cubs play the Brewers nine times right away. Then they yeah. play 10 more games after that. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out throughout the season. Something tells me we haven't heard the last of this. We've not heard the last of this as, as we often do. And, and the Reds have one of these things going with the Cardinals, these kind of wars. And so the, these things, the cent- this is what makes National League Central Baseball interesting is when the teams really dislike one another. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, if the Cubs aren't as good, if they're not in first place, they do have some things that are going well for them. And one yeah. of them is Craig Kimbrell. Without a know. doubt. Without he's a doubt. been the one bright spot. Certainly he, he stands out as a, as a, as a piece that the Cubs could flip for prospects. And uh, you know, this could be a good thing. Well, he's I been dominant. Think- Hoyer doesn't like that talk either. He, he doesn't like the fact that because he wants to, there's, he's still playing that masquerade. Like they're really Cubs are trying and they're going to compete this year, which is hogwash. According to my calculation, they'll be one of the worst five teams in baseball when it's all said and done. They will but not. So make what? I mean, you have to, you have to suffer a little, you have to be forced to make a decision right now. The Cubs are six and six and eight, six and eight, seven and nine, six and eight. Six okay. And eight. I mean, that's not awful. There's Nobody no doubt. I yeah, I just don't think they're gonna. It's gonna end well, and I do believe. Kimbrell, and Kimbrell is Kimbrell is going to be uh, moved, and probably Brian is going to be moved because they have to start building for the future. Just don't don't put lipstick on the pig, Cubs. I mean, you're, this is just crazy. This it's, trying it's, to tell us that you're going to compete is is bullshit. It's, it's just April. I understand. I understand. I understand. I'm just looking. I'm looking yeah. past that. The fact that they didn't spend in the offseason. The fact that they basically gave you Darvish away for a bag of balls and some score sheets. That was a terrible move by the Cubs. Got rid of his salary. Terrible. I, I don't know. I, we can agree to disagree, but that was a terrible move. You you have to rebuild some way, and and they yeah they but what they were doing is clearing the decks, and I understand. I mean, it's yeah. the business of baseball. Again, I, I at least. The Cubs, I think, are finally acting the way a big market team should act. You know, and they're taking this time to kind of restock the pantry. And then when fans get back into the ballpark, they'll start to spend on free agents. And then we'll see the Cubs back to where we need them to be. What, you know, what like, color is the sky in your world? Well, I'm just, I mean, this I'm is just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> but 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 another now now this I want to change the subject here. Yeah. To, uh, somebody too, really, we shouldn't. Yeah. I really wish we weren't talking about this, but yeah. the wife of Casey Sogard, who's a second baseman for the Cubs, yeah. had sure. some sort of awful tweet. Yeah. You know about uh, you know it was uh, and there was an article in Deadspin by uh, Julie DeCaro, who used to work for the Score, and uh, the tweet was you know what was uh, what was her it, it doesn't it doesn't matter we could just talk about the fact that she was uh, it, it was inappropriate. Yeah. Here's the big thing this this all goes back to Nico Horner. If when Nico Horner gets out of jail and is able to join the parent club, I think they're going to release Eric Sogard. So I just I want to say that right off the bat. He's batting 124, which is well, not everybody's that, batting which is not much lower than the team average, but yeah. it's still it's still minus the team average. And the, the, what what Eric brings to the party, a million guys can do. And so the point is, you don't want to have your wife out there on social media basically blessing Embarrassing the team. Exactly. It, it's a white whistle racism that we've heard a million times before. Basically she's, you know, I don't want to say she's an insurrectionist, but she's, she's one of those right winger types, which is, that's her, 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 uh, you know, thing, but don't start talking about crime in Chicago, a place you don't, re you've lived in for like two weeks. It just, yeah. it just comes across as to, to, to native Chicagoans or, or even someone like me who's been here for 30 years as, as just dumb and dumb. disingenuous. A quote like that. And what she said was on Twitter, if the Cubs and White Sox cancel the game, every time a black person was shot and killed in Chicago, they'd never play baseball again. Yeah. And that is a very, very, that is a myopic view yes. of the situation in Chicago. That was not her tweet. She liked that tweet. She, oh, she liked that tweet. Yeah, okay. that's right. All right. Wow. I don't know that she's so, smart enough to put that kind of a sentence together. So, because she seemed pretty dim. Yeah, that she liked the tweet. Okay, right. that's interesting. So, so, so liking a tweet becomes news. Yeah. That's interesting. And this is the age of social media. You know, this is the age of, and you really have to consider, you know, the things that you say and the things that you share and the things that you like yep. and how that's going to be, how that sort of, explains to other people who you are, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, this is, this is bad. Before we move on to the Sox, I want to mention that Addison Russell finally oh. got a job. He was signed by a team in the Mexican league. Uh, if you remember, really? he played uh, in, in uh, Japan last year, he was not re-signed. So he basically signed a one year right. deal with this Mexican league, hoping to make it back into the majors. And apparently this Mexican team is actually taking advantage of Addison Russell because they've already announced that in June there's going to be wife beater t-shirt night where they're giving out wife no. beaters. No, 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 I, I kid. No, you're not. So let, tell me what's no, going no, on no. in the world of the Sox. <laughs> the Sox. Well, you know, it, again, I mean, it was a really sort of, you know, you know, the Sox didn't have a very good week either, you know, losing games uh, in, in different ways, finding different ways to lose games. And, and just, you know, it was kind of a bad week in Chicago baseball, and, and that was kind of too bad. But there was one moment of, of brilliance, one tremendous, one exciting moment, and that was uh, the Carlos Rodon no-hitter, which was very, very close to being a perfect game. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, basically, he bounced a pitch in the dirt that bounced up and hit the hitter in the leg. And apart from that, he retired 27 guys. 
And uh, I, it was, it was a really great moment. And a guy like Rodon, who's had injury troubles, he's had a hard time staying on the field for the White Sox. He was not tendered a contract. And then they signed him at a kind of a bargain basement rate. You know, he gets in, he makes the club out of spring training and, you know, he, he, he he throws a clean slate. And I got to say, I was uh, pretty impressed. Yeah. My opponent in my fantasy league had him. So I started watching that game around the fourth or fifth inning and watch it the rest of the way through. And you're right. This was another perfect game that just like uh, with Musgrove the week previous, yeah. that was broken up by a, a hit batsman. This one was close on the hit batsman. They had to kind of almost review it a little bit. Right. Um, but, and it occurred in the ninth inning, unfortunately, but Rodon was cruising along and it was in a night. It was in the night after the be- one of the best pitching performances of the year, which was Bieber on uh, Cleveland, yeah. uh, who, Almost pitched to Maddox, by the way. It was damn close to a Maddox. And it was even better than Musgrove's performance and Rodon's. That was the best pitching performance of this season was by Bieber of Cleveland. Yeah, that was amazing. That that was pretty cool. I mean, Bieber is a great pitcher. Right. Girls really like him. He's a great singer. Apparently, I didn't know he was a top (laughs) idol. They're, the Indians are in, uh, or uh, sorry, Cleveland is in Cincinnati right now, and uh, I'm getting to see a lot of this Cleveland pitching staff, and they're very, very hot. But but Rodon was hot too, and this kid has a great slider. He is one of the best sliders in baseball from a metric, you know, from an analytical uh, point of view in, in terms of the way it spins and the way it moves from. Uh, I mean, he's a left-hander, so the way it moves from left to right and down, you know, so. And, and I'm, he needs some good news. This is the guy who needed it. You don't so. need some good news is Adam Eaton, yeah. Who, yeah. Was, who was involved in, in something I saw live again, uh, a yeah. bench clearing incident, which occurred uh, at second base earlier this week. Um, and I'm going to, against the Indians, of course, I saw it and I'm, I'm with Eaton on this. I thought that guy basically tried to take you off the bag whether he did it on purpose or not, it doesn't matter. The end result is still the same. I would have, I would have thrown, uh, if I was the umpire, I would have said he was actually safe. However, that's not what happened. And uh, they called him out and Eaton threw a conniption fit and actually bumped the short, the, the shortstop. I think it was covering the bag. Bottom line, he's, he's probably going to get a suspension for this. He is probably looking at a suspension because, and it was interesting when he touched that you can't touch your opponent. You can't do that. But, but, but if you look closely, and, and again, you're absolutely right. You can't touch him, and he should be suspended. But he did, if you look at it, when Eaton shoves the infielder, and he shoves him right in the chest, he's more like, hey, you, this is what you did to me. You pushed me off the bag. And he sort of pulled his push, if you, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, he kind of yeah. touched him and pulled his hands yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you pushed it me like off a re- the bag. It was like a pro wrestling move. Yes, it was like a pro wrestling move, but but as a result, the bench is cleared, and yep. and Eaton was kind of embarrassed. Uh, I heard the interview with him later, uh, but but anyway, he will be suspended not because it was anything sort of untoward in terms of physical stuff, correct? But but it was but pretty mild. Play- it was pretty mild until you touched him, and then it was like you know what you should, you're going to get something for that if he hadn't have touched him. First of all, he didn't get thrown out of the game. No, he didn't get thrown out of the yeah, game. That but, would be but, my defense to MLB. Whoa, I didn't even get thrown out of the game, but you're going to suspend me? Oh, what's that all about? Well, because what, what happened is because what you did led to the benches clearing in a COVID right, era. Right, and that's right. right. You know. 
but but it's been interesting following both teams. And I think, you know, LaRusse is very interesting because they uh, lost again last night and the bullpen kind of, you know, there was an, they, they lost in Fenway in the battle of the Sox. And uh, I forget the reliever's name, but he had, he'd, he'd retired their best hitter, struck him out, you know, one, two, three. And then the next inning, he, he, he gives up the ghost and, uh, and LaRusse backed him. LaRusse was like, Hey, that guy pitched great in the inning before, you know, and we were going to stay with him and he made a mistake, you know, and that's the way it goes. He's a human being. And when we lose, we lose as a team. And I thought that that was very, that was indicative of what he's trying to do to unify the team and, and to get them to play for him. And I think, it, I, I think both, both Chicago teams are underperforming for different reasons. Yeah. However, I'm still extremely optimistic of the Sox. I have to say, I, I expect them to rebound. I think they'll start firing on all cylinders and they'll start to move their way up uh, the American league central Cubs. What would you, what would you give me in, what would you give me? Like if I'm, if I'm going to take the Cubs and you take the Sox yeah. and we go uh, games one and we make a bet, yeah. how many games would you give me? It's not how many games I would give you. It's what currency I would pay you in. <laughs> <laughs> I would think you'd have to give me at least 10 games. So yeah. That the, so, that the, that the Sox would be, you know, the over under on that. What would be, you know, do you hear those kernels popping in the background, Leo? I do. And, and, and that's that means, popcorn, I hear. That is popcorn popping in the background. It, I can almost smell it, Tom. I can almost smell it. <laughs> I smell something. And, I don't know if it's popcorn. And, and just make sure you put a little salt on there, a little butter. That's fine. And, uh, and it's time to begin our movie discussion. And we're going to review the last movie of our Oscar or Best Picture Oscar nominees. And uh, we're going to go with The Trial of the Chicago Seven a movie filmed here in Chicago about actual events that took place here in Chicago, uh, protests and, uh, and subsequent trials and uh, conspiracy trials that followed. And I got to tell you, um, you know, this is written by Aaron Sorkin. And when you, when you see a movie that has been written by Aaron Sorkin, it is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, he's brilliant at writing dialogue that is interesting to the viewer. You know, these guys get to say really interesting, fun lines and they make great speeches. But but if you think about it, there's a feel to it as if Aaron Sorkin is talking as if he's a man who's thought of something that he would have liked to have said to a guy in an argument he had two hours ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just here's what I'm going to say about this issue when I know you're not going to interrupt me and no one is going to interrupt me and I'm going to, you know, and the dialogue is just so clever. And he also, I got to say, took some liberties with uh, these historical events. Yes. And I wasn't real happy about that. I don't know about you. Yeah. You know, it, interesting film because um, one of the reviewers um, that you kind of cite in the show sheet, the guy that writes for the reader, Ben uh, Jarofsky. He's a political writer. He yeah, writes politics. Exactly. I thought his review was, was bad, only in the sense that your article is the same. What he says in the article is the same thing he does in the article. He kind of is guilty of that. Um, but he brought up a very interesting point that I completely agree with, and that is this is the best worst, best movie that I was so pissed off to watch yeah. that, I, that I've ever seen. And I kind of feel the same way. I think this was very well done and if this was a novel this could be a classic because the the, the dialogue crackles i mean it's just it's fantastic however you're at, you're 100 right it's completely pretentious and over the top and, and it's it, and it's like for every good point that they make 
there's about 25 to 30% fat on that, on that little diatribe. I just think that the whole movie suffers a lot of what uh, uh, Aaron Sorkin has been criticized of. And, and that is that it's the dialogue itself. It's, 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 it's as beautiful as it is. And sometimes you laugh out loud and sometimes it makes you think, but never do you go, hmm, someone actually said that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like people actually. It feels like it's being written. Right. Somebody smart wrote it, and and it and it is good, but but I think that I prefer his writing uh, when it when it it deals with fictional stories. When it's fiction, then I think it's it's a little bit better. Like I really enjoyed the newsroom. You know, yeah. and there's all the interplay between the characters. They're in love. Are they going to get married? So on and so forth. It, 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 for me, it works better then. But when you, when you apply actual events, you know, but, but, but again, I mean, let me, let me talk about, let me talk about some things that I liked about the film. Because there were some things that I really liked. So for example, um, anytime you get to see Bill Kunstler on the screen, whether it's somebody playing him or him himself, that's basically worth the price of admission. And that was true in this film. Mark Relance, who won, uh, a best supporting actor for Bridges Spies, that I think a Spielberg production a few years yeah. ago, yeah. Uh, was fantastic as, yeah. as Bill Kunstler. And he was kind of the moral anchor uh, uh, you know, of the ship to a certain degree. Um, sure, he plays the guy d- defending the Chicago, yeah. six of the Chicago Seven. And, you know, Sashi Baron Cohen, who's nominated for best supporting actor, um, to me, really two of the best acting performances, I liked him. But I really thought Eddie Redmayne as Tom Tom Hayden was yeah. a, a thoughtful, complicated kind of guy. I knew guys like this in school when I went to uh, 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 Jesuit uh, all all boys school. These guys were brilliant as the day is long, but they were constantly getting an elbow from you know bigger guys in the hallway. Walk, you know what I mean? Like so, they, yeah. they they were complicated but brilliant guys. And Hoffman was the exact opposite. You know, he was a guy that was that basically educated extremely well in Massachusetts, but then lived out in, I think, Utah or something like that for a couple of years. He, he's had that weird blend, and he was the showman. And the fact is, he was right about the, what he was saying is, get in front of the cameras, because yeah. everything has to be recorded. And Hayden was, was more altruistically trying to say, hey, what about the kids in Vietnam? You know, he, This is about more than just... Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy that played Bobby Seal, and I can't remember his name, was f- fantastic. That guy was fantastic. Um, he, refused, he refused to be sort of charged with these guys. Yeah. He didn't even know them or talk to them. And, and, and here he is, this black man who's being silenced by the judge who's bound and gagged in the courtroom. Right, right. Because the judge is refusing to allow him to choose his own representation. Right. And that, you know, in itself, I think is, if you really look at the, cause that really happened. Yeah. And if you look at the events of this trial it is the most shameful part of it. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, that, that and the judge who was brilliantly played by Frank Langella. I thought he, he, he should have been nominated. He, yeah. First of all, that judge, if you read about him on the internet, <laughs> What in the movie correctly states it. Every every attorney in in Illinois, like or seventy five percent of them, said he was unfit to be a judge. Yeah. Of all attorneys in Illinois, that should be all, everything you need to know. The sad part is he was on the bench for another ten or eleven years after that. Yeah. He should have been like that movie was just chock, or that story uh, was chock full of uh, you know the fact is that this was, this was going to get overturned on appeal. 
yeah. based on what happened in the courtroom. So uh, and it was, you know, it, it's it's interesting to kind of look back at those events. Yeah, and it was a crazy time, and yeah, they kind sure of pin was. it all on. You know, Sorkin pins it on the Nixon Justice Department, right? Right. Who's like, we want to be tough on these guys, and we want to because these protests were really embarrassing. Well, and, that is true. That part is actually factually correct. So, but, uh, but, but, you know, it, it, I, I don't think for me, it was, I enjoyed it when I watched it, but then I'm like, yeah, he really did play fast and loose with some of these facts. And, uh, and, and then I kind of don't like it as much, but there were, there were very good things about it. And one of them was uh, Jerry Rubin, you know, they, yeah. yes. the FBI had had these, um, these moles, these people who yep. went undercover yeah. and, and to get close to the yippies. Yeah. And one of them was uh, in in this movie is a kind of an attractive police uh, detective. Completely fictionalized. That did Completely not happen. fictionalized. But the great moment in the movie is this this woman had cozied up to Jerry and slept yeah. with him. He really liked her. And yeah. then when he finds out at the end that she's been an FBI dupe, you know, he's like, "Well, what about us? Will you call me? Can I call you?" you yeah, know? right, right. <laughs> but Jerry Rubin also. One last thing I want to mention about this: he went to my high school. He graduated yeah. from Walden Hills. I did not know that, but I know that he was an Ohio boy. That I knew. Uh, yeah, and he he died in, in in on the campus of UCLA when he was crossing the street. Correct. Hit by a car. Unlike Hoffman, who killed himself. Who killed uh, himself. Exactly. So, um, the, the interesting choice. It was you know an interesting year of films. The one thing I have to say before we kind of wrap up is that Bill Maher said this is the most dour group of Best Picture nominees that he's ever seen. There's a according to this. COVID has created this uh, um, a lack of happiness factor um, that kind of permeates into the films. And I thought that was kind of an interesting observation that it, it, they are kind of all the films, which we will review next week. Till then, we yeah. are the two peas in a podcast. Have a good one. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the five lows. Play the dead march as they carry me along put bunches of roses all over my coffee roses to deaden the clouds as they fall